All right, dude. Well, it looks like we get to finally pay tribute to all these females in music for the first time in growing up rock history. It's been three years and we haven't done a single episode dedicated to nothing but women in music. So I can't wait to bust out some Spice Girls, some Ariana Grande, and maybe a little bit of Madonna. Check this out. Let's get into this episode. Go on and crank up this hero tune. Now, you didn't really think we were going to go pop on the Growing Up Rock podcast, did you? Now, let's really crank it. Right there, Hollywood. We finally get rid of the virtual sausage fest that's been going on around Grown Up Rock for the last three years. And it's all about women who rock on this episode. I'm super excited to get into this episode because there are a lot of hard rocking women out there in rock and roll. And we're going to talk about them both past and present and get into this. Are you excited about this episode? Yeah, but you're not giving us enough credit. Like, we've had Brit Lightning on the show. We've had Thunder Mother on the show. It's not all been a sausage fest. Trust me. You're Abe Froman. That's right. I'm Abe Froman. The sausage king of Chicago. Yeah, that's me. We've talked about Hailstorm a ton. You do, huh? Very proud of you. That's very nice. Well, listen, that's absolutely true. But we've never dedicated an entire episode to women in rock. I mean, unless you're talking about just the interview episodes where we did the interview episode with uh, Guernica from Thunder Mother and, of course, Britt Lightning has been on the show. I mean, we've had people like Courtney Conan Dole, and we've had some women that graced us with their presence, but to dedicate an entire show to not only the women of rock and roll, but the music of those women. I'm super excited about that because when I started doing the research for this, I mean, there is a ton of stuff. And early on, it was kind of slim, you know, early like in the 70s and early on in the 80s, it was a little bit slim. But really, it seems like there's been an explosion in female rock and roll over the course of these last 20 years or so. Do you agree? Yeah, it's spiderwebbed a bit. The early ladies that really rocked spawned the next generation that really wanted to rock too. And, you know, you heard that a little bit from Brit. You've heard that from the Lizzie's of the world and the Maria Brinks of the world. And 
they've been around 10, 12 years, and now you've got the next generation that's spiderwebbing even more. So I know we both have some thoughts around female rockers and how they kind of entered our lives. We'll probably talk about later, but uh, it's going to be an interesting episode for sure. Yeah, no doubt. But as always, before we get too deep into this episode, you know what we got to do. We got to do this. It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. All right, so tonight's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight goes along with our theme, and we are featuring the band Black Rose Maze. Black Rose Maze is singer Rosa, I'm going to butcher her last name, but it's Lara Chuchura. Close as I can get, I'm sure it's not right, and I apologize, but, you know, language is always a hurdle for me. Including English. Yeah, exactly. Including (laughs) mostly English, man. What are you talking about? Including English. Anyway, listen, Rosa was in the Canadian version of The Voice and she went straight to the finals. I don't think she won, but she's got an incredible voice. So much so that she's been touring with TSO and we both know that TSO does not employ crummy vocalist for their touring acts. So Trans-Siberian Orchestra employs Rosa. She does an amazing job. So she's got her own hard rock project on Frontiers Records. It's full of great rock and roll. So we're going to feature a song called Laws of Attraction, which features Jeff Scott Soto, your man crush, and probably she met him through TSO Check out this song.
Yeah, you put TSO and Frontiers together, and you got a new band that uh, needs a little bit of star power to get some attention. So Jeff Scott's old to be an involved works, right? It's a good song. Yeah, the record is, um, it's hit or miss for me. I think that Rosa is an amazing vocalist. She sounds great musically. It's not down my alley of standard love. There's a lot of good stuff on it. I do like quite a few songs on it. It's just as a full project, it's not really my bang zone of rock and roll. But again, Rosa is a great singer. And uh, so kudos to her. I'm glad she's finally doing her own thing. And hopefully it'll take off for. So there you go. Out this summer, right? Uh, The record is actually out now. The record came out, I want to say, probably a month ago. And yes, it says summer of 2020. And of course, we're in the summer of 2020. So yeah, record came out about a month ago. So check it out. Black Rose Maze is the name of the band. And it is a self-titled record. So when this topic came up, I was like, oh man, my history with female rockers is honestly not that great. It's been a lot better the last 10 to 15 years, but growing up as an MTV kid and coming into rock at age 14, 15, I honestly didn't enjoy the female vocalists. And most of them were either vocalists or they might've been playing guitar, but like Joan Jett, The Runaways, eh, not eh, meh to me, right? I, heart was cool, but I wasn't really enjoying the female vocalist, and the vocalist usually is where I start. At the time, I couldn't pinpoint what it was, but I was thinking about it the other day, and now I think I know exactly what it was, is I needed the singer of a band to say things that I couldn't say, right? To feel the things I was feeling and somehow say them out loud. And for whatever reason, a female vocalist couldn't do that for me. I needed to hear a male do it. Now, that being said, as Paul Stanley would say, some people listen to music with their eyes and I'm watching MTV and here comes Lita Ford. And that was probably the first chance that I'm like, okay, I'm in my 15, 16 range. You got this woman that doesn't have very many clothes on. She's playing a guitar. That's really cool. She's kind of slithering all over the screen. That's really cool. I sent you the two posters that I bought and put up on my wall and let's face it, you know, for teen boys, sex sells, whether you like it or not, that's how it is. And both genders deal with it. That's why boy bands and, you know, like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, Duran Duran even get a real chance. I'm not saying those folks aren't talented. I'm just saying that the sex appeal gets their foot in the door and then they make their career what it is. And that's what Lita did for me. So that's kind of how I at least got interested Then fast forward to like when I'm 21, so now we're looking about 1990, I would say between 1990 and probably 2010, I couldn't name a a female vocalist I was listening to, and I couldn't probably name very many female bands I was listening to at all. But the last 10 years has been absolutely nuts to where I'm almost looking for it now. Like when a new album comes out, I'm like, oh, that art looks like it might have a female lead vocalist or it might be an all-female band. And for whatever reason, it really connects with me now better than it did when I was 14, 15 years old. And I know you went through something similar, right? Yeah, you know, I don't know what it was for me early on growing up around rock and roll where the band had to look a certain way. And I was never quite drawn to either female 
singers or female bands. Some of the music stuck, but I never returned to it often. And it was really the same way with some of the male rock bands. I remember early on, I was never an Aerosmith fan because I didn't like the way Steven Tyler looked. I didn't like the way the band looked. And so it was very with my eyes more than my ears, at least at first appearance. And we're talking about, you know, this is before MTV. So it really had nothing to do with MTV or anything like that. If anything, MTV probably helped soften that because they presented not only women in music, but guys in music in a different light. It's funny you mentioned Lita Ford as being one of those first doors for you In a lot of ways, she was for me, too. There were a few bands that I can recall early on. Like, I recall Lee Aaron from Canada as being one of those early rock records that I had. Girl School, which was kind of part of the new wave of British heavy metal, but they were the female version. Some of those type bands early on found their ways into my record collection, but it was Lita Ford's Dancing on the Edge that was really probably one of the first records. I remember going to an album release party for Dancing on the Edge, meeting Lita Ford, and the first song on the record, Gotta Let Go, that was right up my alley. I really dug the riff. I thought it was a great song, and I thought that Lita played really great guitar because in the 80s, you know, it seems like a lot of players were phenomenal players. So if somebody was going to hang with some of the musicians, be it a girl or other, they had to be able to play their instrument. Lita certainly could play guitar. So that kind of opened the door for me. Now, fast forward, and as the years have gone by, it seems like the grunge era welcomed in a whole lot of female musicians whether it be whole or other things like, you know, Veruca Salt, etc. But it seemed to open the door a lot for a lot of those artists. And now for the last 20 years, it's just exploded, in my opinion, with all kinds of great artists that are just rocking out there. Whether they're a singer, whether they're an all-female band, it really doesn't matter. They're just up front and center. So I've really found a lot of music this last several years that I really love that's in some way tied to a female artist. So it's been good. Yeah. And what it's created for me is, although I love the music of the 80s and some of the 90s, obviously, I don't know a ton about the female artists from those two decades. I know more about the last two decades when I kind of rediscovered it a little bit. So, and then some of the bands I listened to, like, you know, let's take Lita, for example, we were going to talk about her later anyway. You know, I, I saw her on the Monsters of Rock Cruise 2015. The music didn't stand up. I'm watching going, wow, she looks great. And she's 60 years old. Oh my God. What are these songs? These are the songs I liked. So For me, the music has not stood up. And from that early pioneers, if you want to call it, for me, probably Hart and Pat Benatar has held up the best. And I'll mention somebody else a little bit later, but those two, I can still listen to go, oh yeah, that's great stuff. Now I've not seen them live. So maybe, maybe it doesn't stand up if I see them live. I don't know, but Lita's music has gotten old with age, I guess. She's aged better than her music. Is that fair? 
That's fair. And I think it's probably, first of all, I understand exactly what you're saying. And I think it's a fair statement, but I also think that it's the type of music. Whereas a Hart or a Pat Benatar, to me, that's timeless classic rock. And so you're absolutely right. The songs of Hart and Pat Benatar, and they do stand up live. I just saw Hart last year. It stands up to the test of time so much better than Alita Ford or The Runaways. Not to take anything away from that music. It's just very period-driven. And I don't know if that makes sense, and I don't know if it'll make sense to the listeners, but in my head, as I'm saying this, that's what makes sense to me. Yeah, and you know, just to give you an example, I'm on the road, I got my iPhone in. If a Lita Ford or a Runaway song pops up, I'm like, oh, okay. But if like Barracuda or Magic Man or Never or Invincible or Love is a Battlefield, like I turn it up. So there's something there. Now it might just be playing out better songwriting. That could be it. Who knows? But it connected to me different for sure. Well, and I think that it also connected to you much more through MTV back in the day. I mean, a lot of those songs had life on MTV way more than anything the Runaways or uh, Lita did. And it's not just about the Runaways and Lita. There's all kinds of comparisons I can make to that stuff. I specifically remember I used to have to walk from my apartments to this friend of mine's house every weekend, and we would hang out on the weekend. And these 20-minute walks through the woods to his house, listening to Pat Benatar's Heartbreaker and Hell is for Children. Uh, We had cassettes and definitely Heart with Barracuda and Magic Man and Crazy on You and stuff like that. These were foundations of what would become hard rock and metal for me later on. Well, it gets me thinking of Johnny Big Good and 
the Runaways came much later for me. I was into Joan Jett uh, with Rock and Roll, Put Another Dime in the Jukebox, Baby. Definitely, I can remember calling and requesting that song when I was a little kid. That's kind of the early beginnings for me. Yeah, Joan Jett is one of those I do not seek out at all. The vocal does absolutely nothing for me. And as a teenager, I didn't think she was hot. So it's like a zero, zero sum game. And when I look at, especially the 80s and the female vocalists, not just in rock, but just on the charts, period, it seemed like all the super talented could do all the vocal tricks were all in pop. And that's, that's not true today. Right today, a lot of those are in rock. There's not a Whitney Houston really out there right now. There's not really a Mariah Carey out there right now. I'm sure there is. Maybe I'm not seeing it, but it seems like it's a lot more manufactured nowadays. And maybe it was then too. I don't know. But Joan Jett just never came off as a something that connected, I guess. It almost felt like, and maybe it was just in my head, it was either like you were a Joan Jett fan or a Lita Ford fan. Like you weren't allowed to be both. I don't know why that is. <laughs> it's the age-old Sammy and Dave story. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? It's kind of interesting. Like, I, I understand where you're coming from, and I think that's where you and I differ a bit. There's a certain level of respect that I have for musicians in general, whether it be a female or a male, that can pick up a guitar and just basically start a band without really necessarily knowing how to play their instruments. At the same time, in the 80s, a lot of the bands that were happening, a lot of these hard rock bands, pop metal bands, whatever you want to call them, were filled with phenomenal musicians, musicians out of GIT and musicians that could run circles around other musicians. So, I respect both camps, but with Joan Jett and the Runaways, especially early on, I think it was more about just this garage band that said, hey, we're new at playing our instruments, but we don't care. We're going to get up and we're going to start playing and writing songs. And it is what it is. You know, maybe with the exception of Lita, who was probably at that point a reasonable guitar player. And she was probably the best musician in the band as far as the Runaways goes. But Joan understood melodies and she was raised on Susie Quattro and punk rock and glam rock. And and that's kind of how she approached things. And so, yeah, she wasn't the best singer in the world. She wasn't the best guitar player in the world, but there was something about her. And I love rock and roll. Put another dime in the jukebox, baby. I mean, that was a ridiculously huge hit, and it launched her, uh, and, you know, far and away, she was the most successful person coming out of that Runaways project. Yeah, so I'm watching MTV, right? Lita's got me interested for whatever reason. We talked about that a little bit. I'm a huge 80s heart fan, so I didn't even know there was a 70s heart when stuff like Never and Alone were hitting MTV. So, and Nancy Wilson, you know, there's another guitar player. I'm like, okay, well, wait a second. There's uh, my, my eyes are open a little bit to, uh, what's going on with the females, I guess. Uh, you know, that's not bad. And then I heard a voice and I remember going, who in the hell is that? And it was Chrissy Hind. So I would say Chrissy Hind was probably the first female artist that it wasn't the look that was getting me. It was the songs and the voice and the melodies. And then to find out 
that she solely wrote some of that stuff, it almost gave the next level of respect for me because I didn't know that a lot about some of the other artists. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. And a lot of the pop artists didn't. We know that even today, Bruno Mars on his last album, they had like 55 different songwriters. I think Justin Timberlake had the same thing, right? So today is completely different, but you look at some of that old stuff by Chrissy Hine and the Pretenders, most of that stuff's written just by her, very similar to how Europe, like Joey Tempest didn't get all the credit, but man, he wrote all the stuff, right? And even though he had a bunch of musicians that were awesome, I'm not sure he got the credit that he was due. Now his bank account did, and I'm sure Chrissy Hine lived off that too, but man, songs like Brass and Pocket or Back on the Chain Gang or Middle of the Road or Don't Get Me Wrong, just for whatever reason, it connected to me. And it, she was the first one. It didn't matter how she looked. That's, I know it's odd, but today I love the pretenders. I can listen to any pretender song. Is it some of my favorites? No, but there's something about it that just kind of gets your heart pumping a little bit. Sad, sad. 
Which is interesting to me because Chrissy Hine and the Pretenders are so much not what Hollywood Pooney is usually into. So the Pretenders and Chrissy Hine are a band that uh, another case of I couldn't stand them when I was growing up. I hated them during the MTV explosion. They just weren't my thing. But they're a band that, you know, fast forward 35 years. I love it. I love a lot of that stuff. Now, I'm probably not a deep tracks pretenders fan, but a lot of the hits I absolutely love nowadays. So, yeah, it's good stuff. And then I would say at the tail end of the 80s, you know, I think everybody was into Vixen. Tone was into Vixen a lot more than I was because he liked Jan as a guitar player. You know, that first our classic lineup, I guess you could say, of Roxy, Cher, Jan, and Janet Gardner. Now, Jan's died in 2013, but Tone was a huge Jan guitar player fan, right? It, to him, it was like the female George Lynch kind of thing. So I kind of got into Vixen too, because obviously we're hanging around, we're listening to the same music. And I listened to Femme Fatale a little bit. Nowadays, Lorraine Lewis is in Vixen, so they got kind of a mix going on. And I'm not really sure if Femme Fatale had as much success as Vixen did. And, uh, you know, today we got Brit Lightning in Vixen, so that's great. But they didn't write all that stuff. They had a lot of help, the Jeff Parises of the world. I think what the record companies were trying to do is go, okay, we're going to make the next Runaways, but they're going to be more 80s hair metal than 70s punk rock type of thing. And it worked for a smidgen of time, and they probably did it just a little too late. But Vixen and Femme Fatale is probably the last bands I really listened to until I got to the 2000s. Yeah, Vixen, you know, I remember when they came out, but I remember Femme Fatale beforehand, and Femme Fatale came out with another band that I still have in my library today called Harlow. Chad, a female singer, and then the rest of the band, I think, were all guys, but they were kind of like, they were a very similar band to Femme Fatale. Bands like Femme Fatale and, and Harlow, and they were much more polished than the Runaways. The Runaways, for me, were that cross between punk and raw hard rock, just trying to feel their way. They were young. <laughs> they were very young, so I don't think they knew a whole lot about what they were supposed to be doing, and uh, I don't know how much Kim Fowley helped guide them <laughs> down that path, but 
if you watch the movie, uh, he guided them quite a bit. So. <laughs> into the 80s did you start softening your blow on women with mtv and and things such as that no i they were interesting and just the few that i was into i still was uh really into the guitar gods type of thing and there was so much great music coming out i didn't have to settle for stuff that i didn't want to hear and then I also dabbled into Motown a little bit, got into the Richard Marks. I was in the Hall of Notes, you know, so there was, there was a different style of music that was coming. So there was some female artists in that, that I liked because I, I actually really liked Whitney Houston. I thought she was very, very talented and all the songs were super catchy. I don't have a clue who wrote any of that stuff. And honestly, I don't really care because she was very, very talented. So that's where I kind of stuck to. But by the time I get out of the eighties, um, like grunge and females and grunge. I didn't listen to males and grunge. I didn't just listen to grunge, period. <laughs> right. So the nineties were kind of a dead decade for me to begin with. And I can tell you female artist wise, it was almost completely dead. 
Yeah, and I thought there were a lot of female artists out at the time that kind of were unique that I listened to, but that music as a whole. So, I mean, we talked about some of the early pioneers with the Runaways and Hart and the Lita Fords, Joan Jets, Pat Panatars, etc. What about some of the artists from the last, say, 10 to 20 years that opened that door? What, what about some of those artists for you? Yeah, I would say the top two that kind of brought me back in, one was Lizzie Hale, and we could talk a whole episode about Lizzie Hale. I could fill 10 episodes for my love for Lizzie. I mean, a attractive killer songwriter, amazing vocals. She's a leader. She's an advocate. She's a role model. She was great to my kids. You know, she's working with her brother. They still have the original four. Her dad used to be in the man, band. Mom manages the band. Like she's grown to do this and she's doing it well. And people seem to like her and her name is getting huge. And, uh, I got to thank Tone. Tone's the one who, uh, turned me on the hailstorm. So Lizzie was top for me. And I know you're a Hillstorm fan. Well, I'm a Hailstorm fan simply because of you, Hollywood. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that is the truth. Hailstorm never really stuck with me early on. It was something that I just kind of cast off to the side, not because I hated it. It was just kind of a little new medley for me. Then we started this podcast and you hammered home Hailstorm, Hailstorm, Hailstorm. And Lizzie's voice is amazing. When she gives me that little bit of rasp with that high range, that's when she's at her best for me personally. It didn't hurt that she was on ESPN's game day for one, maybe two years, whatever that was. So that didn't hurt at all. That coupled with you constantly hammering home and bringing some of the music of Hailstorm to me opened up the door. I went out and got stuff, and now I absolutely love it. I'm right along there with you where anybody that can sing and play guitar and do it well, I'm all about it. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm a Hailstorm fan now, but that is 100% due to you. And then the second one I was talking about is actually Maria Brink. So you may not know who Maria Brink is, but she is the lead singer for In This Moment. And at the time when Tony introduced me to Hailstorm, I was really into Z Zombie. And I'm still into Rob Zombie. I, the music intrigues me in John 5, I think, kind of hooks me because of the guitar playing. Uh, the vocals, you know, I can take it, leave it sometimes. And the songwriting is a little weird sometimes, but I, I got to be in a mood, but it's good stuff. Well, Maria Brink is basically the female Rob Zombie. So they've got seven studio albums. There's one that got released this year. They've opened for Hailstorm, so I've seen them live a couple of times. And a funny uh, story, you could get a hug and an 8 by 10 with Maria after she performed. And my son was with me. And at the time, I think he was like 11, and he was scared to death to get a hug from Maria Brink. And I'm like, dude, I don't know when's the next time you're going to get a hug from a woman. You might want to go hug that woman. <laughs> And he's like, no, 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 no. And I got to be honest, I didn't do it either. I was scared too. You were scared because Nicole was about to beat your ass. No, no, I was scared. <laughs> I was scared, scared because she's kind of, you know, doing the little female Hitler thing a little bit. She's got blood dripping from her eyes and her mouth and blah, 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 live. Like she's, uh, she, Alice Cooper's it up, zombies it up a little. And uh, it was a little scary. But, uh, you know, here's a woman that, her father left when she was young. She's pregnant at 14. She's a single mom. She's got to help her mother through a drug addiction. She goes to follow her dream and she makes it. And 
in this moment isn't huge. You know, they got kind of this kitschy fan base, but uh, they're doing okay, and I enjoy it. I don't know. Have you have you heard any in this moment? Is that totally out of the realm for you? No. So I got a I got a Maria Brink story for you. Uh, first of all, I had no idea who Maria Brink was. <laughs> so that that answers your first question. I had no yeah. idea. Oddly enough, I have seen in this moment perform. Last year, they were third on a bill in an arena show. I just happened to be working that arena show. I can't tell you the other two bands. I want to say it was, um, oh God, All That Remains maybe was one of the bands, or it might have been Disturbed. I don't think they were third on that Disturbed bill, but maybe, I don't know. Anyway, they were third on one of these bills, and I didn't know anything about them. So I was like, okay, well, I've heard of this band, but I don't know anything about them, so uh, I'm excited to see it. And they came out and blew me away because they had a complete stage set. They had a complete show, meaning that it was very theatrical. This spotlight hits her and she's propped up on top of this church steeple. And she's basically singing from this church steeple for the first two or three songs. Very theatrical. I was impressed. I liked some of it. But the rest of it, I didn't. It was very hit or miss uh, as far as what I liked by them. Uh, I can't fault a band with a song called Whore. That's always great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's good stuff. I think that was their big encore was was this uh, song called Whore, if I remember correctly. But yeah, you know, I was impressed. And that's my Maria Brink story. So yeah, I do know who they are. And I've heard some of the stuff and it's hit or miss for me. But uh, I respect uh, what they're doing uh, as a band. So that was cool for me. And I think we've told you, uh, well, I've told you uh, the Nita Strauss story, but uh, I'll tell it to you again, just in case I didn't. So we go to see the Iron Maidens. Tones band, Restrained, was opening for them. Okay. So Gianna, who's my uh, middle daughter, she's 18 now. She was probably around 10 and uh, we went to go see him. And as we're driving there, there's these four ladies in this, uh, it's some sort of convertible. I'm assuming it's like a caddy or whatever. And they're just hooting and hollering all the way there. And we're like, what the hell is going on? Well, come to find out they were four of the five Iron Maidens. Like we didn't know. We figured it out later. But uh, so Restrain's playing, they get done and uh, they're at a club. So they're breaking down, setting up. I noticed that Gianna is not right next to me. So she's sitting on a stool by the merch booth. I'm like, oh, okay, she'll be fine there. And she's uh, talking to somebody and there's a lady back there. She's kind of changing the strings on her guitar and, uh, you know, playing some scales without plugging into an amp or whatever. And she's talking to Gianna and Gianna's asking her about, you know, how do you tune your guitar? And, you know, why do you play guitar? Blah, blah, blah. So I go to see what's going on. And it was Nita Strauss, <laughs> right? Now this is before she joined Cooper and, you know, the, her name is much bigger now than it was obviously eight years ago. Right. But, uh, I'm still kicking myself for not getting a picture. Dude, I didn't get him a picture. Because she bounced in and out of the Maidens as well, right? She played some for them? Yeah, yeah. It was, oh man, the Maidens were amazing that night. That was the night I'm like, I love Iron Maiden, and there's women playing Maiden? Oh my God, this is awesome. You know, I saw the Iron Maidens for the first time at this club, and I was disappointed. It was the first time I saw them, and I was like, eh, and... It didn't sound great, and 
it was at the end of the night because there had been somebody that played before them and I was kind of tired and I just don't think I was into it. I stayed for maybe four or five songs and I left. Fast forward to the Monsters of Rock pre-party the year before last. What was that? 2019, the first year. Yeah. And I thought they were amazing at that pre-party. I thought they kicked ass at that pre-party. Now, I'd had a couple of glasses of wine, so you might tell me, man, what are you talking about? They were awful, but I think I remember you digging it as well. I thought they were really good, uh, and I enjoyed it, and that was, um, uh, who was in that version was uh, Courtney Cox, right? Yeah, Cox and probably uh, Nikki Stringfield, I guess. Yeah. yeah I think it was Nikki, yeah. Yeah, and they were good that night, even though you were pretty hammered. Hey, how you doing? My name's Stephen Michael. <laughs> I have the Growing Up Rock podcast. How are you? I'm like, who the hell is that? Uh, God, nothing like a little uh, go-go juice, so so to speak. Mad Dog 1010. Mad Dog 1010, because I can't afford the Mad Dog 2020, baby. <laughs> no, but yeah, it, I thought they were really good. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. So we know all about the Iron Maidens, but there is like a slew. This is big business, this slew of all-female tribute bands. There are all-female Guns N' Roses bands, uh, ACDC bands, uh, obviously Kiss. The, the Iron Maidens, Kiss. Yeah, we, we had, the, uh, forgot we had them on the show as well. Pris. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's it's a big business. I think a lot of these females that play in other bands, they come together and rotate in these tribute bands because it pays some bills. I think it pays pretty well, probably. In fact, what, the last cruise, they had the Guns N' Roses with a Paradise Kitty that was on the cruise. And who else have we seen? I've only seen four female tributes Ever. Maidens, Pris, Paradise Kitty, and AC Dishi, and they're from uh, San Francisco. That's the only four I've ever seen. Uh, well, I think there's a few others. I can't remember them all. Oh, there's top, tons. Yeah, there's Top tons. of my heads, but I remember yeah. when we were talking to the bass player from Pris, we had her on the show. She was saying that she plays part-time in the ACDC tribute band as well. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of them. Yeah, so I mean, I think that that kind of thing uh, helps carry the flag for hard rock and metal yeah, with today's age brackets, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So then there's what we call the up and comers, what I call the up and comers. And there's two bands that completely threw me in to female artists all together. The last, I would say, I'm going to say eight to 10 years. And those two bands was Cobra and the Lotus and Butcher Babies. I saw Cobra and the Lotus open for Kiss, and I saw Butcher Babies open for Black Label Society. And I remember seeing them going, oh, uh, I didn't know these type of bands were out there. So if you don't know anything about Cobra and the Lotus, Cobra Page formed a band 2008 in Canada. Uh, they got some thrash stuff in the early days, but um, mostly it's like guitar-driven heavy metal. Six full-length albums, their latest being Evolution that was released last year. They've got a couple of cover things out there, done a Black Velvet, Alana Miles cover. Uh, very listenable stuff. They're good. And Cobra, you know, she she started as a, a classical singer and then went to piano and then went to a priest concert and it was all over and turned into metal. And we share a birthday. So, you know, she's she's way younger than me, but, you know, October 14th, you know, that's how it goes. 
And then Butcher Babies. So Butcher Babies is probably not your bag. It's a little in this moment. There's a little cookie monster going on there, but it's Heidi Shepard and Carla Harvey getting together, formed in 2009. If you don't know a lot about the Butcher Babies, it's part Marilyn Manson, it's part Slayer, part Slipknot. Sometimes melodic, sometimes Cookie Monster, but oh my God, do they got tons of energy live. And you got two amazing women, just amazing singers, amazing performers, amazing looking, period. Heidi Shepard, she was a morning radio DJ. She was an actor at a young age doing commercials. She was in uh, the show My Name is Earl a couple of times, a couple of horror movies. Carla Harvey is a uh, musician and an actress, and she was a former nude model. She worked for the Playboy channel. That's where Heidi and Carla met. She had been in TV shows like Rules of Engagement. Used to love that show, man. And then went and got her degree in mortuary science, dude. Like these ladies are not normal. I, I would say <laughs> they're, they're a little out there, but, uh, nice as can be like we met them at the black label show and man, the two ladies, like you would not know they're in the butcher babies doing the stuff they're doing. And if you were to go look at videos on YouTube, you were like, Sonny listens to this crap. You know, it's, it's uh, interesting. Have you ever seen Cobra and the Lotus or the butcher babies? I have seen Cobra and the Lotus. They opened up for Texas hippie coalition and I watched their show from the front row because it wasn't a real crowded show and it was a small club. Cobra Page reminds me of a young Doro. She sort of looks similar, sort of moves similar. You know, she's very good. They're very good. Uh, some of their music is a little bit too fast paced for me, not enough groove, not enough riffing going on for me but I like some of the stuff and I thought they were great live. They sounded good live. So yes, I've seen them butcher babies. I've never seen live. I've seen pictures. I understand why you're into them, <laughs> but, but yeah, musically I've tried. I just, I can't, I, I can't even tell you that there's one song I can latch on to. I'm sure they have one that I can latch on to, but I tried and I, I don't get it. Uh, well, actually, I, I take that back. I do get it. I just don't get them uh, <laughs> musically. So, I would say if you are, because the Butcher Babies will scare you. So uh, start with Thrown Away. It's more of a ballady type, and it kind of gets you, okay, these people are talented. And then you got to go for the more rougher stuff, and you'll probably like it a little bit better. The last four or five years, and honestly, these two next bands are all because of Tone, because Tone got into some of this Swedish symphonic metal before I did. And he introduced me to Battle Beast. And Nora Luhimo is the lead singer for Battle Beast. They've been around since 2005, Finnish band, started by three high school friends. Nora actually replaced the original singer about eight years ago. They released, we talked about them uh, last, uh, well, in the best of uh, albums for 2019, because they were one of my favorite albums of uh, No More Hollywood Endings. Nora has a great voice. The band's got a little bit of pop sensibility to them. It's definitely symphonic metal, and they got a guitar player. You know, enough said, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, Nora didn't start in heavy metal. Uh, she started in like pop, but listening to like Maiden and Dio and Priest, and she kind of found out that she has a rasp in her voice, uh, pretty young. And she said in an interview, but it was after I listened to Janis Joplin when I realized that the rasp in my voice that I could be a rock singer. 
a rock singer and I had all these different sounds and tools to be a heavy metal singer. Right. So for her, it was Janis Joplin and you hear that a little bit in her voice and Battle Beast has got some really rocking stuff. They've got some kind of Richard Marks fast pop stuff. They've got some cheesy stuff like Black Ninja. It's uh, good music though overall.
And then Elise Ridd from Amaranth. So again, Tone got into Amaranth for I did, you know, and you do it sometimes, sometimes, uh, Righty does it. Sometimes Tommy or Zeus will send me something on the text and say, Hey, you got to check this out. Well, Tone does that a lot too. Right. So check out Amaranth, man. I was hooked the minute I heard him. Swedish metal band. They got three lead vocalists. Elise Ridd is obviously the female vocalist. She's probably the one that brings the pop and the melody to the music because otherwise Amaranth really wouldn't be melodic much. Elise, her, both her parents are musicians, so she was exposed at an early age. They've got a new album coming out, and man, I cannot wait because the two songs I've heard so far absolutely loved. And Elise also moon, moonlights in a band called Camelot, which my 20-year-old son's really into, and they're kind of symphonic metal. So you've heard Nora and Elise a lot more lately, right? Well, so let's start with Nora. Battle Beast is a band that came on my radar first and foremost from our friend over at CGCM, Rich the Meister. He was following them around the country. He was flying to different places to see them. He's a huge Battle Beast fan. So that was first when they came on my radar. Secondly, you bought them to the show. So you bought that last record to the show. We spotlighted Piece of Me, I think is the name of the song. Yeah. yeah. In one of the spotlights, I liked that song. I listened to the record. I was like, uh, is this a movie soundtrack? I don't get it. I like this song, <laughs> but the movie soundtrack thing, I don't get. Uh, so I liked that song and I left it at that. And then I just kind of put Battle Beast on the shelf. Fast forward to 2019, and this band comes on my radar, Beast in Black. And I absolutely fell in love with the Beast in Black record. It was in my top uh, 10 for the year. And you're like, well, hey, you know why Beast in Black, that guy, that guitar player, he used to be in Battle Beast, I think is what you told me, right? Yeah, he was one of the originals, and he left because Battle Beast was becoming musical theater. Yeah. So <laughs> so I said, okay, well, that's interesting. So I went back and started listening to Battle Beast. And I listened to some of the earlier shit, and I was like, man, this earlier stuff kicks ass. Like, there's a lot of riffing going on, and maybe it's not perfect from start to finish, but there's a lot on there. So I sort of fell in love with Battle Beast from that point on. I think it was you and I that was talking to... Hannes from Shiraz Lane and wasn't Hannes telling us that he actually that Nora was teaching vocal lessons and he maybe even took a vocal lesson or two from her yeah I think he did say that yeah so at that point you know Battle Beast was full on uh, my radar I like a lot of the old Battle Beast stuff that's just flat out kind of riff oriented it's sort of Maybe in, I mean, it's definitely some symphonic metal going on there, but it's also a lot more kind of like uh, harkens back to the days of Warlock with Doro, where it's just these fat, heavy metal type riffs in guitar. And I've said from day one, I'm, I'm much more of a music person than I am a vocal person. I need to understand the vocals and I need it to be not annoying, but I like big guitar riffs. That's what I love, grooves and guitar riffs. And there's a ton of them on some of that early Battle Beast stuff. And so I dig that. Amaranth, you've bought it to the show before. I can't say that I dislike it, but I've tried to get into it and I just can't get into it for whatever reason. I think probably 
there's not enough of that guitar riffing going on. I think it's more keyboard heavy and that turns me off. I got to have a decent mixture. And so uh, I just haven't been in, able to get into Amaranth, but it's not a band that I'm just like, uh, they're shit. It isn't like that for me. So, yeah. And then over the last, I would say, couple of years, Calico Cooper has come on the radar and it was really because seeing Bisto Blanco live mm-hmm. twice in like six months and them just blowing me away. Yeah. And Chuck Garrick, you know, his voice is what it is. And the music, if you didn't see it live first, you probably wouldn't appreciate it on album. Yeah. Because when I first heard the music, I was like, eh, that's okay. Until you see it live, it's like, wow, what is that? Right. So they've got some theatrics going on and. Calico's Alice's daughter. And you know what happens with some of these guys that have kids. Uh, Sometimes it don't work out too good, especially if they want to go into the same type of work that you're doing. He hires her at an 18 year old to be a part of his show and uh, on the Brutal Planet tour. And she was playing Nurse Rosetta and Cold Athol. And then she gets into acting and she was on Hawaii Five-0 in a couple of of their episodes. And now she's in Bisto Blanco and I'm telling you, seeing them live, they were wow. The minute Calico left the stage, they were meh. The minute she came back, they were wow again. So Chuck is smart enough to know he needs Calico. Otherwise, that band does not work. Yeah. Bisto Blanco did it for both you and I at the same time. We saw them on that Monsters of Rock pre-party, and we thought the same thing. They were just, for whatever reason, Calico is hard not to watch. She's very, and it's not, you know, listen, I don't think... Calico is overly this model type, but her facial expressions and the way she moves goes with the music that they're presenting. And it's very, it's very theatrical, but it's very hard not to watch. I mean, Bisto Blanco for me musically is basically Rob Zombie. I mean, that's the music reminds me a lot of that. And obviously they're kind of taking some of his tricks because that's the way they present themselves. I like a lot of it. Musically, I like a lot of it, but I like a lot of Rob Zombie too. I think the vocals are probably better than Rob Zombie just because Rob Zombie is what it is. It's not, you know, it's not Pavarotti for God's sakes. <laughs> None of this stuff is. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a hundred percent true. But uh Calico Calico Cooper's just hard not to watch and I really enjoyed them. Oh, sorry, she's not Pavarotti. <laughs> so, so, so sorry. We got to quit stealing that shit from our brothers over there. That's their gig. Yeah, so, you know, that brings me to a few up-and-comers that I want to spell out. I'll start out with Taylor Momson. What is it? Momford? <laughs> you got to leave this in. Momson. She's not Buford. She's not Momford. She's not Munson. She's a Momson. Momson. Just, just slight my Momson. There you go. She's your mom, son. There you go. Momson. <laughs> Taylor Momson. I'll start out with Taylor Momson from the Pretty Reckless. Pretty Reckless is they're a unique band. They're not just a straight ahead hard rock or metal band. They got a lot of different layers and levels to them, but they've got three records out that I think have some really good stuff on there. And they're about to release another record as well. So they just released a single that I like quite a bit as well, but Taylor 
she cut her teeth in acting. She does a lot of that stuff, but I actually think she's a pretty good singer and they're a pretty good band. I'd like to see them live. I haven't had the opportunity to see them live yet. What's your thoughts on the Pretty Reckless? I like them. I don't listen to a ton of it. I have to, like, this is one of those bands I need to sit down or, you know, drive a couple hours somewhere and just listen to the entire, all the songs they have, basically. 
and discography, I guess I should say, um, to really get down to it. Everything I've heard, I like. So they're, they're probably, people sell them as kind of hailstorm to me. I'm like, well, they don't sound like hailstorm to me. So it's like, stop telling me everybody's hailstorm, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but she really had a job in acting. Like she was a main character on Gossip Girl for like six years. Mm-hmm. Like she, she had the gig, but then she just retires and goes and does music instead, which is great. I guess go follow your dream. And if, and Gossip Girls has been in syndication, so I'm sure she's making money. So maybe it allows her to follow her dream. Yeah, and you know the pretty reckless. I think that they're building a pretty good following along the way uh, because they were playing at least here in Atlanta. They were playing and selling out thousand seat clubs, so they're building a fairly decent following. Then it comes to Diamonds. So Diamonds is a band that both you and I like quite a bit. Priya Panda, lead singer. I like their first EP and then the two records after that. The last record they put out was a little meh to me. And then uh, we saw them on the cruise. You know, they were good. But now Priya is off doing her kind of solo thing, but it's totally not rock and roll. Like the songs I've heard have been like these bubblegum pop tunes a la Katy Perry or whatever. And I was just like, okay, well, I can't fault somebody for trying to make money however they need to make money, but it just isn't my thing. I didn't think it was particularly great. And so I don't know what to think of about Diamonds uh, right now. I don't even know if they're still an existing band and whether she's just doing this side thing to see if it sticks uh, and she's coming back. But I don't, what's your thought about that? There's something going on. Cause I mean, they have had, they've been around 14 years and they've had tons of member issues. They've had a couple, I think a couple of them died off. They've had a bunch of changes. They go do shows and not everybody can go. And so there's, I think Cece and Priya have been the glue from what I know. And then the rest of it, either there's a, hey, I got to make enough money to feed myself or I'm not interested in this anymore or we're not getting big enough quick enough or uh, they've had some, you know, tours in Europe. They've they've done some obviously in the US. They've been on Monsters Rock Cruise, but she's still working at this sex club when she's at home, you know, so she's still got like a real job too. And those videos that you've seen lately, she's basically doing them in her closet, but you know, it is COVID time, so she can't go do them somewhere else. Doesn't it look like she was doing it in her closet? I don't know. I just, I couldn't get past the song. I was kind of like, man, that's awful. <laughs> so. The song wasn't that bad. She's got some street cred. I just think there's, there's something about the timing plus the music plus the commitment of the band and them being in Canada and rock dying. Like it's just hurting them all from all sides. It feels like. Yeah. I mean, listen, I like diamonds. I like Priya. I wish her and them all the best. I just hope they pull it together. And I would like to see them get back to the record before this last one. Uh, and I don't know if, you know, to my knowledge, they're not even working on any record. So this is also what scares me about like a Bisto Blanco here too, right? So the way I kind of look at it is Diamonds was finally kind of seeing some tread and they were going. And Bisto Blanco was probably going one level above them to become a little bit bigger. And then the COVID thing just kills a whole year and possibly more of touring. And those two bands are probably living on that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I mean, especially 
people that are in Bisto Blanco, right? They're making Chuck and <laughs> Chuck is making his money from touring with Alice, and Alice can't tour. And when Alice is touring, Bisto Blanco is out there touring, and Bisto Blanco is not touring because nobody can tour. So, uh, yeah, I fear for those um, uh, hired guns like Chuck Gehrig, you know, yeah. because that's how they get paid. So I don't know, you know. We'll go from Diamonds to Thunder Mother. Obviously, over the years, we played quite a bit of Thunder Mother. I've said it numerous times. They're straight up my alley for rock and roll, just meat and potatoes rock and roll, a la ACDC, etc. We've had Guernica on the show. And to me, she's a fantastic singer. She has that great mixture of power and rasp that I love so much, but she can be clean as well. This latest Thunder Mother record that they put out, to me, really shows growth in the band. To me, they're not just an ACDC three-chord band anymore. There's some really good songs on that record, and they still rock. And they're out there. They're playing. I mean, they're out there playing in Sweden and, and wherever because they can still play. I saw, they, I saw they played a COVID concert not too long ago where they had all the seats equally spaced out or whatever at the show that they were playing. So they're out there promoting. They're working hard. They're always on social media. And Guernica was great to talk to. She's a fun person. And so I wish Thunder Mother all the best, but I absolutely love this band. And uh, if you like rock and roll, you should get out there and support them and check out that latest record, Heat Wave, because there's some really good tunes on that record. Uh, so I think that they have definitely shown growth as a band. And then I've got a whole list of stuff. I mean, there are bands that we could cover from, like Sonny pointed out at the beginning of the episode, there's just so many bands uh, over the years, and there's not enough time in the world to touch on every last one of them. But bands like Sonny talked about Janis Joplin earlier being an influence. What about Blondie? I mean, definitely they were an early influence on rock and roll. I love the band The Donnas. I thought The Donnas were awesome. The Amorettes were awesome, which unfortunately I heard The Amorettes broke up, which disappoints me greatly because I like their last record. And they've got three great records, The Amorettes do. Lee Aaron, the queen of metal, as she has been talked about. Uh, Soraya. Love has taken its toll. I know you're a Soraya fan. You like Soraya quite a bit, right, Sonny? Uh, I love that first album. and The second album changed things a little bit, but man, seeing them live, they were awesome. Uh, I'm disappointed that Sandy didn't get to do more things later on. Well, you know, and I'd heard that, that she kind of got back together and they were working on a record. And this is fairly recently. So I thought that maybe they would be somebody that might turn up on the Monsters of Rock or something like that. But haven't seen much after that. You know, of course, of course, I'm sure COVID is has uh, sidetracked a bunch of shit that was going on, you know? Yeah. And it's just like anything else. When you've been gone a while it's hard to come back and they were supposed to do they were on the melodic rock fest and they were supposed to be on the bill i think it was playing in like chicago or something like that one year and then there was like a money question and then there was like well who's going to be there and who's not going to be there and then all, all of a sudden in the end they never showed up so yeah. i don't exactly know what all this stuff is but it's just like anything else other stuff becomes important 
and it was something you did younger in your life and you don't do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think the greatest gift I've gotten over the last 10 or 20 years is one, obviously getting older and more mature and being open to much more stuff. But two, starting this podcast has really, really opened my ears to so much different stuff, whether it's a band like Battle Beast or Diamonds or Hailstorm, to just talking and having these episodes about this that open open me up to so much different stuff. I should mention, I put together a playlist on Spotify and we'll put the link in the show notes so you can go check it out. But it's basically a growing up with women in rock playlist. And there's, it's probably four hours worth of music. And we've just, I put all kinds of different stuff, mostly stuff that we've all talked about here tonight. And I'll add a few things that I haven't put on it yet. You can go check that out if you're a Spotify person and uh, check out some of the bands that we're talking about because uh, obviously we haven't played music by every one of these bands tonight. So. You wanted the best and you got the best! The hottest band in the world! Kiss! It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So for the historic moment, I was looking for something that was try to see if I can find an all-female thing. And in 2015, there's a covers compilation called Kiss and Makeup. It was a three-way collaboration between this L.A.-based company called Media Horse, Hori Pro Entertainment, which is Nashville-based, and Hori Pro Incorporated, which is Tokyo-based. And what they set out to do is to do a feature of all female artists spanning basically the globe to cover Kiss songs. So the release has 16 tracks. There are some interesting versions of Detroit Rock City, Shout It Out Loud, Black Diamond, Crazy Nights. But one of the artists on this album, uh, her name is Kafka Shishido. She's a Japanese artist, has released three full-length albums, a couple of EPs, primarily a drummer. She's 35 years old, was in a bunch of bands until she went solo about eight years ago. This song hit the Japanese Hot 100 four years ago and got all the way to number 15. So from Kiss and Makeup, 2015 compilation, here is Kafka Shishido with the Kiss classic, Calling Dr. Love.
Did you say copulation? I said compilation. <laughs> because I'm not going to say compilation, whatever you say. I don't I don't know what that means. Compile chicken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I haven't heard that one yet, but I'm sure you'll share it with me at some point. <laughs> it's been in the show notes forever. You could have done your homework like I did. That's true. I could have, but at last, I did not. <laughs> and I'm man enough to admit it. Damn it. <laughs> well, this has been good. Uh, I would encourage people go out there and share our Facebook group, join our Facebook group, and then share it with any of your friends that dig rock and roll and come on the Facebook group because we're discussing various topics of the podcast, upcoming themes, and just music in general. So, music and concerts. TV, movies, whatever you want to talk about, basically centered around the Grown Up Rock podcast. It's the Grown Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group. It is private, so you have to request to join, but that's good because we don't have a bunch of people seeing what we're saying in there, and that way you can feel safe in what you're saying. Uh, there's no political talk. It's all about rock and roll, and we want to keep it that way. We have a good time. So join the Facebook group, the Grown Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group, and go ahead and share it out with some of your friends that dig rock and roll as well. Come on over and let's talk about stuff. Uh, once again, we appreciate each and every one of you guys. Thanks for joining us in this discussion. I think it was a pretty good discussion. What do you think? You know, we keep calling them females and rock. They're just all rockers. It doesn't yeah. matter whether they're male or female. We, you know, we're Gersh in the Chronicles, right? We were talking about Indian bands. Like, they're all over the place. Who cares? There's diversity in rock right now. And honestly, some of the rock that's out of the U.S. is really, really good and at times better than what we got in the U.S. So you got to give everything a shot. Yeah, and it's an interesting point you make. It's really hard for us uh, not to draw lines in the sand with female rock and roll, with male rock and roll. And it's not an intentional thing, but it's hard to dedicate an entire episode and not mention that it's all about women and rock and roll. So... Uh, and there was definitely a segregation early on when I was growing up. Uh, but there are a lot of pioneers that paved the way along the years, uh, even starting with some of the R&B girl groups, the Supremes and things like that. Uh, some of those earlier pioneers that helped pave the way and it just kind of snowballed from there. But the point is, there's a ton of great rock and roll both new and old. And maybe if you haven't discovered the Runaways or some of the older Lita Ford or Joan Jett or Pat Benatar or the Hart sisters, maybe you go out there and discover some of that. And maybe if you're into newer stuff, you pick up a Hailstorm record or a Diamonds record or a Thunder Mother record or Pretty Red Reckless record and see if that stuff uh, suits your fancy as well. There's great music out there. Go discover it. And what I'll tell you is, go try one Butcher Babies video <laughs> on YouTube. Take a look at Heidi and Carla and how they do what they do. And then you can send me a message privately thanking me. What video should we check out? Uh, uh, oh, you can literally pick anything. My favorite song by the Butcher Babies is Thrown Away. But like I said, that's probably more of a ballad and, and not people's speeds. So if you want to check out some more rocking stuff versus a more ballady stuff like Thrown Away, there's a song out there called Monster's Ball, Headspin, Lilith. 
Yeah, just type in Butcher Babies on YouTube. You'll get some stuff. And you can even check one of their live videos and you get what I'm talking about. So, and then you can thank me because you will. Yeah. One thing I didn't mention, and this is an important record, and I'm going to throw it in at the end here, and we played them on the show before. But if you can find the record Social Intercourse by Smashed Gladys, go find that record. Sally Cato, she recently passed away, I think probably six months to a year ago. She was the lead singer in that band, but they were just a great straight-up rock and roll band. Smash Gladys, Social Intercourse was the name of the record on Elektra Records, and I wore that tape out in the, I think, late 80s. So check it out. I think that's about it, right? That's it. Thanks for listening. Till next week. See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.